Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christianity Saturdays. Today is Saturday, August 4th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Today we had a um, sort of a botched communication, a, a miscommunication between Donald Fox and I. It, it was about three weeks since we spoke about doing this program, and, and we both misunderstood what it what exactly it was we were doing and and even when we were doing it so when i called don this morning he was kind of caught by surprise and and well i was surprised at that but i wasn't ready for a for, for anything else except for what we had originally planned and when we weren't doing it or when we decided we couldn't really do it or do it right we decided not to do it at all and simply have a discussion about various other subjects related to our central topic, which is, of course, this End Times update. So here we have Donald Fox with our End Times update for August of 2018. Don, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me once again, Bill. And it's a pleasure to uh, join you on this fine Saturday evening. Wonderful. It's my pleasure. Okay, so yeah, as you noted in our uh, in the intro there, uh, this is maybe not the most uh, prepped for show that we've ever done. Um, but having said that, you know, it's not like that I don't do, you know, homework on this stuff all the time anyway. Um, so I thought perhaps tonight um, we could maybe sum up what our general position is and, you know, and in most of the shows I'm on, you know, we, we focus on Revelation and Ezekiel, uh, you know, the end of things, which, you know, since, you know, we're talking about end times. But, you know, I thought tonight maybe we'd, we'd spend a little time on the beginning. You know, I've been listening to your shows with uh, with Clifton that you guys did back in the, uh, you've been playing those best of um, since Clifton passed and, you know, God rest his soul. And um, we'll probably see Clifton on the other side here soon, hopefully. Um, or maybe not so soon, but, uh, I thought maybe we'd touch on Genesis tonight a little bit. Um, you know, and you've been do doing a, a great job breaking down exactly who the Adam of Genesis is. Is it, is it a white man? Is it a white man created on the eighth day and a black guy on the sixth day? Or just, is there two Adams or is there three or four? Just who exactly is Adam? And... You know, I, I think you've pretty well nailed it. That yeah, there's only one Adam, and the the books that we have in Genesis describe the same creation two or three times. It's the same Adam. So, kind of my boilerplate definition is you know the definition of Adam: Strong's exhaustive concordance, Adam, 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 to show blood in the face, i.e., flush or turn rosy, be ruddy. So identifying Adam. You know, and nobody can squirm around the basic premise that Adam and Eve are the, of the same race. So Adam and Eve didn't have mixed-race children. No, they had white children. And we don't know of any version anywhere that says that Adam and Eve were Asian or Negroid or Mongoloid, you know, what have you. History depicts them as white. Um, we can identify them by rightly dividing the word Adam, which means man, uh, Strong's concordance elaborates that this kind of man, 119 and 120, being ruddy to show blood in the face, 
I eat a blush or turn rosy. Um, Genesis 5.1. This book is the written account of Adam and his descendants. So it's it's the white man and woman and their their offspring. So this is the King James Version. <clears throat> Genesis 1.26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And 128. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So what is that saying? So God created a white man and woman to have dominion over the earth. So that's white supremacy in a nutshell. White supremacy is hard-coded into the Bible, as stated in Genesis 127 and 128. So the, the Jews, you know, slash fallen angels, hate God and his creation and are doing everything possible to destroy it i.e., therefore, they must destroy the white race. This is the roots of white genocide. This is why we see Jews promoting degeneracy, like homosexuality, gender fluidity. They seek to destroy the pillars of white Christian civilization. Adam was created to destroy these bastards that were the products of the fallen angels and the beasts mating. As you pointed out, the, the Book of Enoch kind of covers that stuff. Um... However, Adam failed at his task, um, so God made himself flesh, and he will complete the task upon Christ's second coming. So basically, I guess in a nutshell, so our thesis of the apocalypse is, is that this white race is now being flooded by non-whites in kind of an apocalyptic final battle known as Gog and Magog or Armageddon, and that battle is playing out all around us. Well, well, that's exactly true. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. I, I mean, there are many branches to that, to, to um, ma many layers, abstract layers, some of them, to go from there. But, you, you know, James Strong, that they mock his definition of Adam to show blood in the face. But that's how the King James translators understood the word. And they often translated related words, words related to Adam as ruddy. And, and that's in um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 1, um, I'm sorry, the, the Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 10, my beloved is, this is the, um, the, the woman speaking of Solomon, his wife, speaking of him, my beloved is white and ruddy. And and then in Lamentations 4-7, which is written by Jeremiah after the fall of Babylon, they were more ruddy in body than rubies. And Adam means ruddy because the Hebrew word dam means blood. So it's only natural that the word Adam should mean ruddy to be able to see the blood through your skin, which is a 
peculiar trait of the white race. Yes, there are instances where other races, especially if they're mixed with white blood, can sometimes, on occasion, see the blood through their skin. But with white people, you can always see the blood through their skin, through on at, at one part of their body or another. And, and you can see the veins through their skin. Some white people are very pale and they aren't very ruddy, but those people, you could easily see the veins through their skin. And, and that's what the Song of Solomon mean, means to describe, where um, Solomon is described as having legs and, and a, a torso like marble. Because if I take my short shirt off, I can actually see blue veins running through my skin. It looks like marble. That's what marble looks like. So all of this is describing white people. And, and yeah, th that's the correct. entire scripture. There is, as you said, only one Adam. It amazes me how many harebrained theories white people concoct to squeeze these other races into the Bible when the creation of the other races is not mentioned at all in the Bible. We have fallen angels and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree has many branches. And, and then we have the tree of life, which is Yahweh God and Yahshua Christ told his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. And, and that, that tree of life is God and the race that he created, the Adamic man. And, and that's at the beginning of the Bible, you have those two trees opposed to each other. The serpent is the representative of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At the end of the Bible, when you read Revelation chapter 22, there's only one tree left. There is no more tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're all in the proverbial lake of fire. There's only one tree left, and that's the tree of life, and that Adamic race. This trial that we're going through now, that is what this trial is about. We're being punished for our sins, but our God, who is our avenger, has promised that we're not going to be destroyed. That all of these other races who are his enemies, they are going to be destroyed. So, you know, it troubles us. It, it kills me to see this mass immigration into Europe and, and all of this racial strife we see in America and, and whites always kowtowing and, and pros, prostrating themselves in, in front of these beasts, these other races. It kills me. But when you get to this level of scriptural understanding, you have to understand that all of this is for good reason, and in the end, they will be as though they had not been, and we will have learned a very important lesson, which is not to screw with God's creation and create hybrids, which is the sin in the beginning. That's the sin of the fallen angels as the apostles themselves described, the going after of strange flesh, which is fornication, which is race mixing, the mixing their seed with beasts, 
to create monsters and demons. Monsters, monsters, not necessarily um, Hollywood monsters. To me, these other races are monsters. They, they might be squat monsters or prairie monsters or jungle monsters, but they are monsters. Yeah, the uh, yeah, like I would say, Africans are basically you know these seventy IQ apes that are floating around. They're basically the Walking Dead. You know, we we see them on the street, you know, day in and day out. They're just wandering aimlessly, devouring everything that they can. These are these are beasts. They're already dead. They're twice dead, as you had described. I mean, they're they're dead now, um, but. There is no salvation for them, so they're ultimately twice dead. Well, well, right, and that's the way the apostles describe them. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, describes the intruders, the infiltrators into the Christian assemblies. He relates them to the fallen angels, to the angels that sinned, and he calls them natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Now, Yahweh God did not create anything back there in Genesis that was to be taken and destroyed. Everything he created was good and had a purpose. But bastards, corruptions of his creation, they are made, not by him, but they are made to be taken and destroyed because they aren't good for anything. They were made in rebellion to him. They are contrary to his creation. And that describes the other races, which Jude, in his epistle, speaking about much the same thing that Peter was speaking of in Second Peter, chapter 2, Jude calls them spots in our feasts of charity. Now, what better describes a nigger sitting at a church dinner than that? Spots in our feasts of charity twice dead, trees without fruit, trees whose fruit wither because they can never produce any good fruit. And, and basically twice dead means that they are walking dead. And, and once they're finally dead, they have not the Spirit of God that grants them eternal life. So they're dead a second time. That's the second death described in, re in, in the closing chapters of the Revelation. Yeah, and Revelation 20 describes the thousand-year reign, the, the, you know, the, basically European domination, as those people, the second death has no power over them. And they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So we, we had a thousand years, and that was white people who, yeah, the, the, you know, the inference being that, A, the first death does have power over them, but the second death does not. Because they're Adamic and they have the the spirit of God within them. Well, well, right. And and Revelation chapter twenty is a little problematical, because there's a little interpolation in there in verse five about the resurrection, which is not in the oldest manuscripts, and that throws everybody off when they attempt to interpret that chapter. Yep, it it does. But properly interpreted. It, it makes perfect sense, whereas our people, you know, we don't have to fear the second death. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to fear the first death because we're all mortal men, but 
The second death has no power over us. <coughs> well, well, right. If if the um, if the camp of the saints scenario it is not playing out now, with, with all of this mass alien into immigration into white lands. And, and basically what amounts to the destruction of, of all the cities of Christendom, it, if that's not the Camp of the Saints scenario, I can't imagine what could be. It, if that's not the Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 scenario, I can't imagine what could be. Yeah, yeah what we're seeing now is unprecedented in history. Um, this has never happened before. And it's not going to happen again. And... You know, I'm even seeing signs where it's starting to abate a little bit in Europe. So, and we'll touch on that later. Um, but perhaps I, I wanted to just spend, a, you know, maybe a few minutes here talking about. Okay, so in the in the intro there, I talked about how when God created man, He'll have dominion over the earth. So that's you can read into that. That's what white supremacy is. And then I, you know, tooling around the internet today, I I found an article from the Atlantic, which as we know is Jewish. And this is an article, you know, credited to Van R. Newkirk II, who is, you know, a, a nigger. And he's got an article here entitled, The Language of White Supremacy. Narrow definitions of the term actually help continue the work of the architects of the post-Jim Crow racial hierarchy. So they're, of course, going to rail against white supremacy. Um, so who or what is a white supremacist exactly. The raging debate has resembled nothing so much as a classical ontological discourse on categorization. Are white supremacists considered so because they consider themselves so? Does one become a white supremacist by a more Aristotelian means, expressing a certain number of categories of being or swastika tattoos? Or is the definition something more slippery and subtle? The language of white supremacy has become increasingly central to understanding the argument over the broad currents of Donald Trump's ascendancy. Long before ESPN anchor Jamel Hill famously referred to Trump as a white supremacist on Twitter, the questions of just who is a white supremacist and just what a white, su white supremacy is have dominated the analysis of how he came into power and what that power means. Hill's comments came as part of a general response to an essay from my colleague Tanisha Tanishi Coates. I'm probably butchering that some African. <laughs> <laughs> One in which Coates says that Trump's ideology is white supremacy in all its truculent and sanctimonious power. The bent of that essay is that whiteness and in turn white supremacy uniquely buoyed uh, Trump's candidacy. And he has, in turn, openly wielded those energies to capture, support, and lead. Hill's summation seemed to complete the square of that argument. Donald Trump is a white supremacist who has largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. In this argument, white supremacy is framed as a broader concept. One where wielding racism or benefiting from it, even in its subtler forms, earns one the mark. Opposition to this framing has varied from conservatives who decry a tendency of liberals to see the hidden hand of racism and gosh darn everything, to those on the left who feel that Coates downplays the materialist analysis and unduly elevates Trump's danger above that of other racist presidents. 
But one one of the thought-provoking sets of analysis comes from those who roughly agree with Coates that Trump's primal appeal has been racial and perhaps racist, but disagree with labeling his ideology as white supremacy, or with Hill's assertion that he's an obvious white supremacist. There are several shades of gray to these objections, but a column from Jonathan Chait, echo, echo, I, I would imagine, in New York sums up sums them up best. Chait does not agree that an expansive definition of white supremacy that would capture, say, David Duke, Steve Bannon, and Donald, Donald Trump, writing that to flatten the language we use to describe different kinds of right-wing politics is to bludgeon our capacity to make vital distinctions. Chait sees this labeling as kind of a language creep that in casting a wide set of, a, a wide net simultaneously cheapens some of America's cherished institutions and in turn might end to encourage radical acts against them. So they're, they're struggling to define exactly who or what is a white supremacist. Well, well, what this really is, is it's really Bolshevik Marxist dialectics. And it, if you take a white town in the middle of Kansas that's 95% white, and they have a 100% white police force, a 100% white city council, and a white mayor. That's white supremacy. But if you go to the jungles of Zimbabwe or Kenya or, or Mozambique or someplace like that, and the whole place is being run by blacks, that's not black supremacy. Or if you go to Beijing and the entire government is Chinese, that's not Chinese supremacy. It's Bolshevik dialectics aimed at the destruction of the white race. Yes, that this, yes. We're, we're not allowed to have a white city, a white community, a white state, or a white country. That there were announcements in the media last week that the British military is too white, that the British police are too white, and that they have to do something to make their military and their police forces more um, diverse. You don't see that. No, nobody says that about Japan, that the Tokyo Police Department is too Japanese. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the Beijing Police Department is too Chinese. Or, or the um, Tehran Police Department is too Iraqi, or, or whatever, or Iranian, what, whatever. And Saudi Arabia, pick a city, pick a place. It, if it's a white place and whites rule, it's supremacy. That's Bolshevik dialectics. That that's um, these Jewish internationalists who are the same as Marxists, controlling the language paradigm so that white people are cornered in in the name of justice, in in the name of doing the right thing. They've been doing this to us for a hundred years, or or longer. It, it's nothing new. It was a lot more subtle a hundred years ago with, with women's rights and, and the rise of feminism, right? The suffrage movement a hundred and fifty years ago it was probably more subtle with, with the abolitionist movement than it is today. Yeah, and you know these definitions they use are again Jewy and they're kind of circular. Um, which is typical Jewish, you know, because Jews have so many lies, they can't come out and give you a straight answer on anything. It's always a circular, 
circular logic, circular reasoning. You know, that's that's a trademark of Bolshevik thought. Well, all of these, uh, I, I would bet 99% of Negro quote-unquote academics have come out of the most Marxist and, and most Jewish university programs that you could locate. Yes. And, and they're purposely elevated to, to high places in the media, to prominent positions in, in the media, or in academia. Yeah, here's just one, one last, here's a paragraph, um, here's another paragraph from this article. Um, to quote scholar Francis Lee Ansley, taken here from a passage from uh, David Gilborn, also a critical race theory scholar, Quote, by white supremacy, I do not mean to allude only to the self-conscious racism of white supremacist hate groups. I refer instead to a political, economic, and cultural system in which whites overwhelmingly control power and material resources. Consciously and unconsciously, ideas of white superiority and entitlement are widespread, and relations of white dominance and non-white subordination are daily reenacted across a broad array of institutions and social settings. So, i.e., if you have a white city, state, country, that would qualify as white supremacy. Well, well right. It, it's not even only that. It, it's basically the rule of law. Yeah, you know, okay, that this isn't a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence that in, in the 50s and 60s and when I was a kid in the 70s, the, the blacks popularized the idea or the label of calling the cops the man. The man is coming to get me. The man. And, and that was really a, a, um, a euphemism for the white man because they, Negroes see law and crime and punishment as white man constructs and they don't like those constructs they don't like the concept of crime and punishment they don't like it at all in their hearts is one law and that's the law of might is right the law of the jungle and that's the law that they live by within their own circles in their own communities right and I've seen this. A, a, a nigger rapes a black woman, and he's like, I got that. I, I got that. I, I needed that. And, and the black woman in the black community has no recourse because if she calls the man, her own community ostracizes her because she called in the white law against her black brother. I've seen that over and over again in, in my yes. own law enforcement career. In, in New yeah, Jersey, that, that, that's right. 20 years I mean, ago. Blacks are, well, I mean, their their origin as a whole is, is in rebellion to God. So there's no law within them. You know, they're just basically animals. And they're not even that because they're, they're an aberration. They're, they're in violation of God's law of kind after kind. Well, well, right. But they actually see 
law, crime, punishment, the court systems, they see yep. all that as a white construct. So they see yep. it all as symbols of white supremacy. That's why no matter what a nigger does, if a cop shoots him dead in the street, they're all out rioting. And what do they do? They go after the Walmarts and steal the TVs and the computers and stuff like that. Yep. That's exactly what they do. So it's like the L.A. riots. It's just take all the stuff from... Well, there wasn't even many white merchants left in L.A. at the time. It was mostly Koreans. And they started shooting them. Um, but yeah, the blacks... Was, you know, they, they, they see white people as a two-edged sword. One... Blacks can't ever build any sort of civilization. So in order to have any sort of decent material existence, they have to somehow winnow their way into our society. But once in, they can't stand the shackles of law and order. So again, it's a dichotomy. You know, I want the free shit, but I don't want to toe the line to get it. I have a tough time with that. And any there's a few right of the bell curve apes that are capable of at least doing an imitation of that, but those people are seen as sellouts and Uncle Toms. Well, well, right. It, it's um, I've seen I've seen that also. I, I've seen um, educated blacks come into prison and and try to maintain that the um, the mode of expression that they did in the business world and when they get around the other blacks the pressure on them to act like niggers is great from their peers and and to put away all those white constructs like proper diction and and um polite speech and and to act like one of them and and it in no time at all the most educated blacks will be acting just like a Harlem raised street urchin in in a matter of months in that environment and i've seen that time after time yeah i, I was lucky to grow lucky enough to grow up in a you know, my, my school district back in suburban Minneapolis in the you know 70s and 80s was 98% white. You know, although looking back on it, I'm sure some of those white people were actually Jewish. But, you know, at the time we weren't really aware of, you know, the Jewish question as much. So but there were the only African kids in my high school were adopted by a white family. They just didn't exist, so we didn't have to, you know, and once you get out into the working world, though, wow, all of a sudden, you know, by the mid-90s, they're everywhere. It's like, what the hell? And Mogadishu. Pretty Mogadishu, much, yeah. Mogadishu, Minnesota. Is, is, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've imported untold numbers of these apes from Africa. Well, well, there are in in a in a situation where blacks are a minority in the population, that there are blacks that could get along in society, and and they just search for an easy life for themselves, and they're going to get it, because whites will reward them just because they're black, and and they search out an easy life for themselves, and they could get along with whites for the most part on a day to day basis. As soon as you get 
too many blacks and not enough whites, there's a tipping point, and it tips rapidly. And, and that's how our cities are destroyed. And the whites start to flee because the blacks start acting like jungle apes again, or pavement apes, as I like to call them. And, and whites can't deal with that. Whites can't deal with a majority black situation because they start acting like, like the monkeys that they are. Yeah, my term for them is a, a free-range pavement ape. Right. Well, well, you you know, if you look at the punishments in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, the children of Israel would be punished for their disobedience, and all things are converging in this end-time scenario, which we're suffering at the moment, and it's going to get worse. And because we, 150, 200 years ago, this process began, when the Jew was let out of the pit, when Satan was let out of the pit, he immediately went out to deceive the nations, right? And, and that's what it tells us in the Revelation. And, and Christian society started to deconstruct at that time under the system of liberalism that was imposed by international Jewry, the banks, in concert with the secret societies in Europe. This concept of liberalism, Christian society began to deconstruct. And Christian men and women started to become caught up in these entertainments that were offered by the Jew. So we have, well, at first we had gambling and burlesque became very popular in the 19th century. Then after burlesque, it was vaudeville and, and jazz dancing and things like that, but which basically set us up for the 20th century and, and the devolvement into the, the cinemas and, and the decadence in the movies and pornography which got more and more popular. So now we're at this point where most white people are basically caught up in idolatry. Pornography is idolatry. Um, sports team worship. These people that follow these sports teams, they're basically engaged in idolatry. And they've completely departed from any Christian mode of life and all they do is work 40 hours a week and the rest of their time is engaged basically in eating and drinking and idolatry whether it's television whether it's sports whether it's the movies that the pornography on the internet whatever the gambling following NASCAR races around um, going to bet on the horses every night. These are all that the Jew has thrown out so many forms of idolatry. Activities which pull our attention away from our obligations and responsibilities to our community and our kindred are idolatrous activities. Fathers don't spend their evenings anymore with sons teaching them woodshop or mechanics or any other sort of craft, which is how sons were educated a hundred years ago. Now fathers just sit on their asses and watch television, and the sons are out 
running the streets and and whoring themselves with 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 bimbos in training at 14 15 years old 13 years old so, so our society has really slipped very far from what it was under this system of idolatry that we live in and that's exactly what it is all these entertainments and we're being punished for that and we wonder why we have these problems in divorce courts you know Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists these punishments Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 30 thou shalt betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her thou shalt build a house and thou shalt not dwell therein. Somebody else is going to live in a house you built. Isn't that the no-fault marriage laws that we have today? And, and the, the high incidence of infidelity in marriage? And, and how many men have bought houses and never lived in them because their wives divorced them? They were off screwing around. Now, sometimes it's the woman off screwing around. Sometimes it's the guy. But that's the infidelity rates on both sides and and that's exactly what's going on you betroth a wife and somebody else is banging her and the next thing you know you get a divorce notice and and her boyfriend's banging her in your house that's what's going on all over this country for the last 50 years that's one of yeah, the punishments in, 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 in Deuteronomy in, chapter 28 yeah and in, in Germany now they're throwing you out of your own house and letting apes move into it. yeah right <laughs> They're not even letting it get to the point of divorce. You could be absolutely faithful in your marriage and they're going to throw you out of your house and let apes move into it. Right. <laughs> so if it's not one way, it's another. Okay. Interracial marriage. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 32. Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people. And thine eye shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. In other words, your daughter is going to fuck niggers, and you're not going to be able to do a damn thing about it. And that's your punishment. That's your punishment for raising your daughter as she watches you sit on your ass in front of a television every weekend and watch niggers run a ball up and down a field. Those niggers are your idol, and your daughter's off marrying one of them. That's yeah, and how many people? How many people don't even view this as a punishment? I mean, there's more of us starting to wake up, but how many people now think of this is not even punishment? It's just par for the course. This is how things are in 2018. M Melissa and I, we live in vacation land, right? Panama City Beach, the Redneck Riviera. We see so many grandparents our age. I'm, I'm 57, right? Our age, my age to 70, in that age bracket, right? Younger to my parents and older to me. That tween generation, that's the generation that grew up, that became sexually mature during the Woodstock era, era right? I was a little too young for the Woodstock thing. I was um, 1969, I was eight years old, right? That generation that grew up during the Woodstock era, they, I see most often in these vacation spots with black grandchildren, half black grandchildren. And they're proud of them. They're doting over them. <laughs> it's incredible. I don't know how many people I've seen. Yeah, the, yeah I, I, I used to listen to Stormfront and uh, Truck Roy used to be on there. And 
he had a term for that. He he called him Grandpa Cuck. You know, well, he, well, right, he, it fits. He's an eyesore at Walmart, yeah, or wherever it is you run into him. You know, I have that, seen so many people in that age bracket, my age to 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 yeah, you know, fifty-five to seventy, say in that age bracket, an incredible number of people hauling around little chimplets in 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 strollers and and walking with them through these that these tourist resorts and things like that and and that they're proud of them they're doting on them it, it's they, they don't even see that there's a problem no so. they they think they're doing the right thing and they're enlightened you know and they have no idea this is divine punishment well, a lot of people do grieve it, and and they've come to grieve, keep their grieve that their grief internal. But a lot of people do grieve it, and there's not anything they could do about it. And and that's a fulfillment of of these punishments in Deuteronomy. And these people that aren't grieving it, they're in trouble down the road. They're going to pay for that for, for that lack of care down the road. I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, not, Right now, there is no recourse. You can't go and shoot your daughter's black boyfriend. You, know, you can't go and string him up from a tree or a lamppost or whatever. You can't do it. You right. Cannot. There shall be no might in thine hand. Well, yep, exactly. And that's how it's playing out. Exactly how it's playing out. So well, these apes have pretty much free access to our women and children. I don't talk to several of my own children for that reason. I haven't spoke to them since I warned them that I wasn't going to speak to them. And and that's the way it has to be. And and that is that the only correct route that we can take in today's society is to completely disown them. It it's incredible to me that these that these people in their 50s and 60s are are accepting that these um, pavement apes, right? That these chimplets, these shitlets, as we like to call them, um, for grandchildren. I, I I don't get it. Don't you want a grandchild that kind of looks like you? I well, that's that, that's just it, you know. And so that there are some of our people though that are that are waking up, and there has been a backlash to this, and um, you know, white nationalism is now. You know, it's a term that's getting out there, and, you know, there's some steam behind it. I mean, as, as far as, like, mainstream political discourse, no, but there's more rhetoric about it. And I, I found an article on, you know, one of my favorite sites here, SPL Center, you know, the good old SPLC. Um, they have a good breakdown here of white nationalism. So all these aberrations that you were just discussing in Deuteronomy, uh, there has been somewhat of a backlash, and there, there's a push now to to get to separate ourselves from these beasts, at least from some people on a certain level. So um, here, here's the, uh, the the name of the article is uh, White Nationalist, and it's on SPLCenter.org. You know, fighting hate, extremist files, ideology, white nationalist. Um, white nationalist groups espouse white supremacist or white separatist ideologies, often focusing on the alleged inferiority of non-whites. Groups listed in a variety of other categories, Ku Klux Klan, neo-Confederate, neo-Nazi, racist, skinhead, and Christian identity 
could also be fairly described as white nationalist. Adherents of white nationalist groups believe that white identity should be the organizing principle of the countries that make up Western civilization. White nationalists advocate for policies to reverse changing demographics and the loss of an absolute white majority. Ending non-white immigration, both legal and illegal, is an urgent priority, frequently elevated above other racist projects such as ending multiculturalism and miscegenation. For white nationalists seeking to preserve white racial hegemony, white nationalists seek to return to an America that predates the implementation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. Both landmark pieces of legislation are cited as the harbingers of white dispossession and so-called white genocide, the idea that whites in the United States are being systematically replaced and destroyed. These racist aspirations are most commonly articulated as the desire to form a white ethnostate, a calculated idiom favored by the white nationalists in order to obscure the inherent violence of such a radical project. Appeals for the white ethnostate are often uh, disingenuously couched in proclamations for the love of members of their own race rather than the hatred for others. This platitude collapses under scrutiny. Two favorite animating myths of white nationalists are the victimhood narrative of black-on-white crime, the idea that the dominant white majority is under assault by, uh, by supposedly violent people of color, and the deceptively titled human biodiversity, the pseudoscientific description of human behaviors, in this case along racial lines, to non-negligible genetic difference among, the, among humans. Appeals to the empirical science of human biodiversity are frequently coupled with thinly veiled nods to white racial superiority. In addition to their obsession with dealing with uh, white birth rates, uh, these themes uh, comprise some of the most powerful propaganda that animates and drives the white nationalist movement. Adherents frequently cite Pat Buchanan's 2001 book, The Death of the West, which, he, which argues that uh, these declining white birth rates and, and immigration, immigration invasion will transform the United States into a third world nation by 2050 as the text responsible for their awakening or red pill. White nationalists also frequently cite the American Renaissance, a pseudo-academic organization dedicated to spreading the myth of black criminality. It's just a myth, folks. Scientific racism and eugenics theories. Uh, its annual conference, a multi-day symposium with a suit and tie dress code, is a typical is a typical early stop for new white nationalists. Although it isn't ubiquitous, there is a current of anti-Semitism in the modern-day white nationalist movement. Jews are common scapegoats for the perceived cultural and political grievances of white nationalists. White nationalist and anti-Semitic literature and conferences have also have frequent author and speaker overlap. Kevin McDonald, author of The Culture of Critique, a trilogy of books alleging Jewish control of culture and politics with evolutionary psychology, is a frequent guest in white nationalist media and at events. His writing is frequently cited as what introduces white nationalists to the idea of a Jewish conspiracy. White nationalists also commonly pass through paleoconservatism, an anti-interventionist strand of libertarianism that seeks to limit government, restrict immigration, 
reverse multicultural programs, and deconstruct the social wo uh, welfare programs. Some of white nationalism's most prominent voices, including Richard Spencer, Jared Taylor, and Peter Brimlow, did stints at um, Takey's magazine, uh, the most prominent paleoconservative journal. <clears throat> Strategies for pursuing the white ethnostate will fall into two major categories, mainstreaming and vanguardism. Mainstreamers believe that infiltrating and subverting the existing political institutions is the only realistic path to power. Uh, they aspire to convert disaffected normies and their, and their politics and advocate for white nationalists to seek positions in politics and society that have access to resources otherwise unavailable to avowed racists. These resources often require that white nationalists disguise their politics and comprise and compromise on their most extreme positions. Mainstreaming allows allows those sympathetic to white nationalism to pursue or enact policies furthering white nationalist priorities. These aren't always exclusive to white nationalism, such as immigration restriction or the elimination of social welfare programs. Vanguardists believe that uh, revolution is the only viable path toward a white ethnostate. They believe that reforming the system is impossible and therefore refuse to soften their rhetoric. They typically seek to reform what they believe to be an anti-white establishment through radical action. Vanguardists favor public demonstrations to anonymous online activism and hope that by turning out numbers at protests, they can defy so-called political correctness, polarize politics, and accelerate what they view as an inevitable collapse of America. Well, well oh, okay, Jewish education. Real quick, the Talmud, if you've ever read any of the commentaries on the law in the Talmud, all Jewish rabbis study this Talmud, and all educated Jews at, at, that have been to a yeshiva or, or any sort of Jewish school have um, at least several years of study in the Talmud, and the Mishnah and, and the commentaries on the law in the Talmud are only um, intricate arguments seeking to circumvent the law, seeking to negate the law, so that they concoct these ways to get around the law. The, the Jews, in other words, are experts at this sort of education, and their language for that reason is always full of double talk, and they always have double, triple, quadruple standards depending on the context in, in which um, an argument appears. So, like years ago, when Clinton was bombing Kosovo, we had, we had heard all kinds of talk about self-determination in, in the news, and, and they were all um, espousing this idea that a people, Kosovo was a, that they were a distinct people from the rest of, the, of Serbia. So those people in Kosovo had a right to self-determination to the point where Bill Clinton could just bomb Serbia at, at will and, and the whole media was basically um, thrilled about that noble cause. Well, well how come white nations in, in the West, don't have a right to self-determination. Yet, you know, in the United, the United Nations, in international law, self-determination it is um, a constantly trumpeted 
principle the right of a people to self-determination but when you really examine and and it's one of the um, points in the European Union Constitution as well the right of people to self-determination but they never define what constitutes a people and and that's really not defined in law so they could apply that basically any way they want and get away with it depending on the, the um, political motive so we have no right to self-determination look at Catalan in Spain or the Basques in Spain that they aren't nobody's bombing Spain and and forcing them to free the Basques even though they're a distinct people from other people in Spain with a distinct history so you, you know the Jew is always a bundle of contradictions when you really examine his actions and his motives and it's very clear that the entire policy is anti-white that this right of self-determination self-governance self-rule it only matters when you're not white well, yeah, let's let's look at Israel. Okay, it's okay for Jews to set up an ethno state, right, and ethnically cleanse the Palestinians out of their own homeland. But they the have a right people, to self determination. <laughs> yeah, but the white people to say, "Hey, I I have a white country. I want to maintain it, it as a white majority." That is racist and white supremacist, and must be stopped. Absolutely. At all costs. And and the SPLC has staffs of. Uh, of lawyers and people with maybe lesser legal training, paralegal training, whatever, who who pour over white nationalist websites and and really any websites that are contrary to um, Jewish supremacy, they pour over those websites. They digest all the material. They break it down. That they try to get every um, little anti-Semitic groups. Um, motives and um, founding philosophies and and all of that and they collect it up like you just read and and they digest it and they phrase it all in a way that they could mock it and and scoff at it and and that's they're experts at that because they're trained in 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 doing that exact thing in their Talmudic studies yeah, my one of my yeah one of the one I think one of the best lines out of this this you know bullshit SPLC article is that uh, um, two favorite animating myths of white nationalists are the victimhood narrative of black on white crime, the idea that the dominant white majority is under assault by supposedly violent people of color. So now they don't offer up any statistics that say people of color actually aren't more violent or criminal than than white people are. They just they just take it for granted. There's no fucking there's no uh, there's no citation there with stats from the FBI or wherever to back up that assertion. None whatsoever. It's just fucking Jewish bullshit on my web page. Sorry for the language. Well, well, what they you, you know what they do is and and memes are are really memes are really as. As old as when they first started putting pictures into newspapers and magazines. They were the first memes. 
I have an article um, somewhere, I think it's on lithobolus.net, and it was about a Massachusetts crime lab technician who basically purposely um, tainted evidence in thousands of cases. And thousands of cases were turned over because she got caught. Well, she was a chutney nigger, I think. She, she's some kind of dothead, right? Some kind of Indian or Hindu, Pakistani, whatever you want, elephant, dung, monkey, whatever you want to call her. Well, well you, you know, all of the articles I saw on this, and, and even an article in Natural News, which is seen as like a, um, you know, a kind of right-wing anti-establishment website, right? Natural News. Um, I think they're anti-vax and stuff like that. So they have some anti-establishment credentials. Even that website, when they ran this article, they put it with a picture of a white, blonde, white lab technician. And they ran this article about this Massachusetts crime lab technician who faked all this evidence in thousands of cases to get convictions. And she was a, her name is Annie Dukin, and, and D-O-O-K-H-A-N, and she's some kind of East Asian sand nigger or something, right? Well, you know, it's the, the, the idea of that act associated with that white, blonde, blue-eyed girl that is impressed in the minds of hundreds of thousands of people on the internet and it forms their worldview even though it's inaccurate and and the perpetrator of the crime turned out to be a sand nigger those people that impression of that white blonde blue-eyed evil crime lab technician can't be erased from the minds of hundreds of thousands of people. That's a meme. The Jews have been using memes like that ever since they first put a picture in a newspaper. Ever since they first matched a photograph to a crime story. Well, I mean, since the Jews have controlled the media, yeah, we've been subjected to an avalanche you know, and it's been going on for hundreds of years of, of Jewish propaganda. And, I mean, that's what's it's taken its toll on our civilization now that some people are fighting back. But a lot of people just take for granted what, you know, 200 years ago, 150 years ago, a, a, a lot of people would have, they wouldn't be able to believe the, the amount of bullshit we're falling for today. But when people get indoctrinated in this crap, I mean, the Jews own every damn television network, every major newspaper. Well, well if they only told station, the truth it, about crime, that, that there would be millions of Americans red-pilled in, in a matter of months if they actually saw the real crime statistics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, Obama basically stopped. He, he, he let the FBI release that report. The last one that came out was like 2008. I'm hoping Trump will resurrect it. But in the, in the last numbers I saw on that, like a national rape thing, 30,000 black men had raped white women in that year. And not one white man had raped a black woman. And then, and then the SPLC will tell you shit that 
like the idea that um, supposedly violent people of color. Well, anybody with a brain cell that's looked at any crime stats at all know that blacks have an extraordinarily high crime rate. They're extremely violent. Um, Chicago, Baltimore, East St. Louis, um, I, the list is endless. Detroit, I mean, there, there's just bloodshed in the streets and supposedly violent people of color is, is the retort from the SPLC. They're not really violent. They're just alleged to be violent by these extremist white supremacists. Well, well, right. I mean, they that they've been fudging the crime statistics. Well, when I worked in um, law enforcement in New Jersey, there were four races. That there was um, white, black, Hispanic, and other. That was it. And now that they've really um, skewed the the entire spectrum by making people Hispanic black, Hispanic white, what which it is basically a, a an extreme rarity if it's really um a reality at all ever Hispanic white is um ah not not from Mexico and and not from no. the Caribbean that's for sure. Well well anyway or South America that there are some places in South America that it could be possible. But Basically, they're Hispanic black, they're Hispanic white, they're, they're Haitian, it is its own group now, and in the FBI crime reports, ever since the Clinton administration, I believe, the Hispanic crimes have been grouped under the white crimes, and that's because very few Hispanics would admit to being Hispanic and black. They're all um, claiming to be Hispanic and white. And they're certainly not white. But there's only no, two choices offered. Yeah, they're, they're getting lumped in with white people. So right. The actual, the actual white crime statistics are, are skewed heavily because of the, the beaners that are mixed in with us now. Well, absolutely. That's my point. And, and the white crime statistics are probably... 10 times higher than they should be because most of those crimes are committed by these beaners that they're not black so that they identify themselves as white Hispanics simply because they're not black. Yeah, which is, is, is we've discussed here is, is bullshit. And it, the one thing the SPLC doesn't talk about here though is that that uh, you know, essentially, young black males are about five percent of the U.S. population, and they're responsible for fifty percent of the violent crime. Fifty percent. Black. Well, they say blacks are thirteen percent of the population, and and fifty percent of the crime. But really, most of that is young black males. That's the problem. They they are extremely violent and have very little self-control and most of them are very low IQ. They're just not built for modern white civilization and because they don't they, they have no coping mechanism and they're not intelligent enough to actually contribute this leads to a lot a great deal of angst and and that's where some of the violence comes from because they just know that they'll never be white. 
and it does eat at them. Well, well, they only have two tickets out of the ghetto, and it's drugs and sports. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there, you know, there's very few of them that that are going to be, you know, electrical engineers or, you know, they're they're not going to be scientists. You know, it's basically brute force is their only way out. Well, I don't see how many couples we've seen. In, in um, our travels, where we'll see a mud shark, right, a, a, a white woman with a Negro or even sometimes a Latino sitting in a restaurant and, and, Melissa, and I, Melissa and I will watch knowing that the white woman is going to pay the bill. And I would bet 95% of the time the white woman pays the bill. Well, of course she does, yeah, because she's probably got white family that's helping support. I thought I think I saw a stat a few years ago, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's like ninety percent of interracial couples are on some sort of government assistance or other. I wouldn't doubt it. And, and you know that story—that's the the black the ape man can't support a family and. Um, no so, desire okay, so, to. Yeah, so our our vision of the apocalypse is these beasts invading our country and raping and pillaging. That's what they're you doing. Know, that, yeah, that, now, if, if you look out the window and, and, and see what's going on, is that what you're seeing? Yes. Now, the SPLC version of life, or the Jewish version, is all people are the same. There's virtually no difference between a black guy and a white guy. Anything that is, it's just, it's racism. The blacks well, aren't inherently any different than white people are. You had mentioned a, a race theoretician in academia early earlier this evening. And that that's another contradiction in terms because... The, the same academics will turn around and tell you that there's really no such thing as race. Yeah, the, the, the white race is a social construct. They'll say that, but black people are victims of, of white racism. Race doesn't exist if you're white because the white race doesn't exist. This is meme going around, and I saw it today, and, and I enjoy seeing things like this because it, you, you know, this... Um, tens of thousands of people making these things to float them around the internet. And the more I see, the happier I am. And and this meme says, it, if I wanted to destroy a race without killing them myself, I would promote race mixing, promote homosexuality, promote the irrelevance of, of the family, promote feminism and divorce, promote abortion rights, teach that race that race does not exist. Teach them, and, and this is what we see in all of our academic institutions. Teach them to feel guilty and to be ashamed of their own heritage. Permit mass immigration into their lands and call them racist when they defend themselves. So there's no such thing as race until a race decides to defend itself and, and then all of a sudden you're a racist. All, all of this is exactly what's going on. I just like to hear other people say it. Yeah, it's nice uh, to know that, hey, I'm not the only guy out there seeing this. And there's more and more of us waking up. And, um, okay, so just to touch on this, this you know, maybe to, to do another breakdown here of, 
of this me the, the Jewish meme is there is no difference you know the, the Bolshevik communist method meme, meme is there really is no difference between various groups of people that anybody can do anything if they're just trained properly or whatever that that's the communist mantra and okay so if that were actually true um, then blacks and Hispanics would be just as productive as white people. And all countries would, would have the same standard of living, you know, regardless of, of who lived there, that, that Haiti would be just as prosperous as Finland, you know, except that it isn't. And the, I, I came across an article here. This is on uh, radicalcapitalist.org. Um, and this kind of quotes some numbers I saw from a, a Ryan Falk uh, 2016 article, I believe. And it, this is entitled, uh, The Cost of Black and Hispanic America. Um, and they, they state that it's originally published at Vox uh, Populi as The Cost of Black America. Um, so if you are a white American, over the course of your lifetime, the federal government will on average and on your behalf, transfer $384,109 of your wealth and income to a single black individual. According to the data derived from the 2014 federal budget, the average annual net tax benefit broke down as follows. White people um, are a, a plus $2,795 to the treasury and blacks are a minus $10,016. So they, they, they take out that much out of the system. Um, so over the course of an average 79-year lifespan, a white individual contributes a net $220,805 to the system, whereas over the course of an average 75-year lifespan, a black individual receives a net of $751,200. However, since there are 4.6 times as many whites as, as blacks in the USA. The black share has to be divided among the various contributors to sort out a one-to-one -one comparison. So the net cost to the average white American to the average black American is $384,109. Married, that's $768,218. Got two kids, that's $1,536,436. Four kids, now we're talking $2,304,654 lifetime. Then they have a picture here. All white people are racist, and there's this big she-boon with a you know, big gut hanging out and some wacko <laughs> frog costume on. <clears throat> Diversity is expensive. Now you understand why you don't have much of an inheritance to leave your children. Do you really think it's worth it? And then... Those natural conservatives to the south, the Hispanics, will surely come and improve the situation, right? After all, immigration helps the economy, doesn't it? Well, not so much. The average Hispanic um, takes $7,298 out of the tax system per year. So each spick gets almost you know, $7,300. Bucks. Um, in fact, there are more Hispanics in the USA than blacks. Hispanics are already a bigger cumulative net drain on the economy, uh, $400 billion to $389 billion. Uh, needless to say, this ongoing demographic change from a predominantly white society 
to a less productive, less white one can be expected to have even more serious negative effects on the long-term economic prospects of the United States than it already has. But, well, they are gaming the system. They're all gaming the system. Well, it's, it's okay. Um, yeah, you and I would see it as gaming the system, but from the Jewish perspective and, and from a reality perspective, like, you know, this is one analogy I like to, to, to bring up. Back when I used to follow hockey, you know, back in the early to mid-80s, I was a huge hockey fan before my team, the North Stars, moved. Um, one of the stats that was getting, you know, back then was one of the big stats of, was all the rage was called the plus-minus rating, i.e., you know, when you're on the ice, does the team score more goals than it gives up? You know, they don't care how many goals you've scored personally. If you If you score two goals a night, but the team gives up four when you're on the ice – you know, you suck. So to, so let's take the sports analogy of the plus minus rating in hockey. And let's, let's apply that to niggers and spicks. So each nigger is a minus $10,000. And this is just federal. I've seen numbers that are equivalent on the local level as well. So you can pretty much double each ape really costs you 20,000 a year between federal and local. And each spick is probably around 14 or 15 grand a year. So each white person is a plus 3,000, you know, 2,700, 2,800. Each nigger and spick is a minus 10,000 or 7,300. Well, well, the the Mexicans, they're all sending their money back to Latin America or back to Mexico. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so we pay them welfare and then they send that a lot of that money gets transferred to Mexico. And and so, that their families live like kings on it. Or or they yeah, invest so we're, it. We're we're subsidizing our racial enemies to reproduce. I I had back back in the 1980s I, I was doing um working a second job for a gold refinery transporting gold bullion, right? And and um, I remember that one of the the workers in the plant, and I talked to him. His name was Ali. He he was a Pakistani sand digger, and he told me that he was a retired Pakistani military officer who came to America to work for ten years so that he could get on Social Security and collect it back in Pakistan. That's all he wanted. That was his goal. And his brother was doing the same thing, but working for a different company. 40 quarters. That's all you need is to work for 40 quarters to collect yep. Social they, Security. Yep, and they send that Social Security benefit anywhere in the world you are. And after, Right. And after 40 quarters, you might only get... Uh, you know, you're not going to get the highest Social Security, but but where you live in Pakistan, you're going to live like a millionaire on that money. Yep. So I mean, again, we're we're taking money out of the American Treasury and transferring it to mud people. Right. It, it's there's all kinds of ways of looting and pillaging that these aliens are doing here in our land that aren't at gunpoint. Because our laws are geared for their benefit. Well, yeah, because the Jews write the laws. And 
So this is, you know, these people are literally the palmer worm, the canker worm, the locust. And the caterpillar. <laughs> and yep. that's the, that, that is a prophecy in Joel, that for, as a, an aspect of our punishment, Yahweh or God would send the palmer worm, the caterpillar, the locust, and, and, and the canker worm into our land to devour our goods. And our fields, right? But that's only an allegory for what these niggers and spicks and chinks and 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 that these East Indians or Arabs or or these sand niggers, what they're doing to us. They're not really contributing to our society. That they might they, be. Um, they, they can't contribute anything. Making the Federal Reserve happy. But because they keep the cash flow going, but that's all they're doing. So yeah, they, yeah. There's no, there's no way that a non-white person can contribute anything to a white civilization, because in order to have white society, you have to have white people, and the only way to get white people is to have two white people reproduce. So a non-white can't contribute anything no matter how much propaganda the jewish splc will spew at you they just can't get along around that basic fact there is no contribution that a non-white person can make to white society none there isn't any job that they do that a white person couldn't do better all they do is loot and pillage all they can do and, is and look for ways to gain the system to gain the system and enrich themselves. So when we speak about Ezekiel in, in a month, we're going to have a, um, a good foundation for understanding Ezekiel, I pray. Because the invasion yeah. in Ezekiel is not necessarily... It, it's described in military terms. And, and I sincerely believe that that's the only way that the ancients understood that an invasion could happen. Because no um, nation in their right minds would just let a bunch of aliens move into it and, and, and live among them and coexist. This has yeah, never yeah, happened in history. Yeah, this, this, this is unprecedented. This, this has never happened. So that's, that's our model for the apocalypse, is that it's, it's a largely non-military invasion of of Israel, the white Christian countries, by these hordes of walking dead. Well, well there's half a dozen um, prophecies in the books of the prophets that correspond to the Camp of the Saints scenario. And one of them is in Obadiah, and, and it says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain. Now this isn't talking about a bunch of niggers on a hill in Palestine um, drinking water out of a spring. It's not talking about that. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. 
and and when we get to Ezekiel, we, we will correlate that with the appropriate verses in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. But basically, that holy mountain is the people of the children of Israel. They are the holy mountain. And the heathen drinking upon that holy mountain are all the nations which Satan has gathered against the camp of the saints. It correlates to that prophecy. So all of these other races are in our lands right now drinking upon that holy mountain. In other words, they're taking their fill of goods and and services and privileges and and riches at the expense of white people yeah and i think now would probably be a good time to play that audio clip um so if you think this isn't an actual invasion um you know we've got a clip here from red ice um that you know the, the latter half of this clip really lays it out that this is indeed an invasion yeah and it might be good i mean some of the stuff red ice is is okay but they really don't like me and they won't even for years they've refused to have me on their program but that's okay through some good news happening in Europe. First, we'll start with uh, Switzerland. Uh, Swiss court has struck a lethal blow against the fake asylum claims by Eritrean invaders in that country by ruling that being drafted into military service in that country is no grounds for asylum. They, all, the court also stated that although conditions in the Eritrean military service were difficult, they were not severe as to prohibit the deportation of Eritreans to their country. And that in general, that it does not believe anyone returning to Eritrea voluntarily faces a real risk of detention or related inhumane treatment. So Eritreans, time to go back home, right? Uh, Austria, another one. Austrian identitarians were cleared of all charges. An Austrian court on Thursday found 17 members of Austria's identitarian movement not guilty of charges of criminal association and hate speech. Remember, they were being charged and treated like terrorists for their nonviolent demonstrations against mass immigration. So that's good news. The new chief of staff of the Austrian army, the Bundeswehr, Major General Robert Breger, has warned that the greatest threat the Central European country faces is from uncontrolled mass migration. The 61-year-old Major General is considered one of the greatest strategists in the Austrian army. Very good news. Czech, the Czech Prime Minister, accepting more invaders is road to hell for Europe. He said Europe needed to send a clear signal that its doors were closed to invaders. Good news. Salvini in Italy. Salvini rejects EU's insulting offer to pay Italy 6,000 euros for every new invader. He scoffed at their offer and, and reminded them that these asylum seekers cost between 40 to 50,000 euros, and that's just to start. Meanwhile, there was 800 invaders turned away from Italy. They're charging Spain's borders, who also just rescued invaders from 30 boats in just one day. We have some video of that. What's interesting about this is, of course, that this is actually in North Africa, Cueta. It's a kind of an enclave that Spain still has there. It borders towards Morocco. And, of course, in this process, we've seen uh, just hundreds and hundreds of North Africa, uh, not North African, actually Sub-Saharan African 
So we've seen these so-called migrants, economic migrants. I don't know what they're fleeing from. Obviously, they want to, they want to go for the Gibbs in Europe, but they have uh, tried to basically climb these seven-meter-high fences, and some of them have fallen down. They've hurt themselves. But what's interesting is is that they they've come with like massive violence. They've thrown like feces at the border guards. Look at this guy; he's just fallen off this uh, the fence and probably <laughs> hurt himself pretty bad. But they had flamethrowers and stuff. But what's interesting is when they have, when some of them have actually successfully come into these areas, they're running through the town and they're just cheering. They're like completely, uh, like like madmen. Like some other, they've won the lottery. They're going to be millionaires. They're finally on European soil, and it's the most weird footage I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, we, we should show that. <laughs> They think that they're just, oh, we've arrived. Give us our mansion. Give us our blondes. Come on, hook it up. I don't know what they want. We've seen that before, too, with the guy running up to the camera going, money, money, yeah. money, money. Look, you know, it's that. all young black men. What are they fleeing them. from? What, what, what are they fleeing from exactly? They look Not healthy. having to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a, like an insane army that this they're letting in. This is an invasion. Here. It's an invasion. We're crying it's, out loud. No treated like an it. invasion. Yeah. I mean, what do these cops think? Uh, uh, what they, is they were, weren't they literally throwing their caca at the cops? They're throwing their feces, yeah. At some point, you just have to wonder, like, w w what opened up the floodgates? What tipped the scales where Europe previously managed to keep these people at bay? And all of a sudden, some just thumbs up, go ahead, invade, Someone run went through. there. Someone, Someone said, said something, something and to these people. And then lefties on the inside. We'll get free so stuff. So look at this. Italy's finally putting their foot down. It's great having Salvini there. Good things are happening. But Spain, what the hell is wrong with Spain? They're just, like, they're idiots. What they're, has happened? They're accepting, of course, all these uh, so-called migrants. Um, and, of course, in the wake of Italy, refusing them. But they'll they'll see the consequences of that. Their actions and their are. decisions are going to hurt their children and their grandchildren. And it's going to be a huge price to pay to let these people into society. They're completely incompatible. They have nothing uh, that's going to be contributed to, to in Spain. Uh, it's just going to be com complete chaos. And they're expecting free stuff and, uh, you know, what million dollar like. mansions or something. No, there's only, there's only one solution. They have to go back. Actually, they're not going to go back. They can't go back. There's no political solution. To send them back requires a political solution that we're never going to achieve because we're never going to outvote the Jews that print the money. No, and if, if people hear the audio, I will have this, this uh, YouTube clip. It'll be linked up on my blog uh, probably sometime tomorrow. But it was the, the end of the clip there. You could, you could see these free-range pavement apes just running wild just shirtless gallivanting through the streets of Europe as though they had hit the lottery and in, in their case they had 
Well, well, right. It's it, it's like a the, the difference between a tick in the desert or a tick on the ass of a big fat dog. What? Where would the tick rather be? He would rather be on the ass of a dog, sucking the blood and gorging himself. And that's exactly what these that these that these apes are in Spain. They're on the ass of a big fat dog. What, which is what Spain has become. Yeah, having said that, though, okay, so we're getting punished for our sins by these invaders and the, these apes raping and pillaging and, and tormenting, and our white leaders have been powerless to stop it, and they have free access to our women and children and our lands and our bounty but having said all that, at the same time God has allowed that, there's also God has also put in motion a process that will ultimately destroy these invaders. So they will have the upper hand for a time, but eventually that time is going to run out for them. And we pray that it's soon. And and that's the scenario that's laid out in Ezekiel chapters thirty eight and thirty nine. And in Obadiah, in that passage that I just read, these people aren't going back. They're all coming here to die. Our people are have to going to come to grips with the reality that the only way that we're going to survive this world is to bring this to an issue of, of blood and and to to rise up and destroy these that these aliens. And that's going yeah. to happen. Yeah, we're not... The SPLC article does point out that, hey, a white ethnostate, to get that, there's going to be a lot of violence. Well, of course there is. These apes don't want to get cut off from the Gibbs. The Jews don't want to get cut off from the Gibbs. Because they don't... That article did not mention how much Jews cost the average white person. But, you know, if it wasn't for the Jews, these apes wouldn't be getting these large subsidies. Jews have cost us an enormous amount of money. Jews can't produce anything. They they cannot produce anything. They can only steal, and they're crafty enough and, and evil enough to chisel their way in and get it, and now our kingdom's been handed over to them. But that day is going to come to an end, too. Uh, there is not going to be a nonviolent, peaceful solution to all this. There's no way that we're going to just vote ourselves a white ethnostate and live happily ever after with a white picket fence and leave it to beaver going on. That's not going to happen. At the same token, uh, we're, we're not going to, the United States government's never going to allow this to happen. So how, how does this going to work out? What, what, how does the end play out? Well, I think we've touched on it that the current system is going to have to collapse. And then in the ensuing chaos that we're going to have to clean house. This country is gone, and it, it's already over. They just have not announced it on NBC yet. Lester Holt hasn't gotten up there yet and announced it. Well, the SPLC is a gatekeeper. It, it is one of the agencies that act as a um, intelligence collection agency and quasi law enforcement agency really 
because they had their hands in all law enforcement agencies. The SPLC provides training on hate and racist movements to law enforcement agencies across the country. And they get paid very well for that. It, the ADL and the, and the SPLC are branches of the Mossad. So, they're they're so Mossad. They're they, Mossad are, they are basically a policing function to keep the political climate in a way that the Jews can get away with all of the of, of enforcing all of their policies against whites in this country. That's why these agencies exist, the SPLC, the ADL. That's their sole purpose for existing. It's, it's to, to act dispossess, as... Yeah, it's to dispossess us and mute any opposition to it. Well, well, right. They're playing chicky for the ticks that are devouring the, the bodies of the white nations. And they'll continue to gnaw and claw and scratch and devour away at us until such time as the system collapses. So, having said what I've said tonight, am I calling for a violent overthrow of the United States government? No. Um, it, it, we have to wait our time. Even though it's bad now and it's going to get worse, there really isn't much we can do about it because the punishment we're, we're receiving now is, is ultimately coming from God. Right. So when, when that when we've taken our prescribed amount of punishment, then the script will flip, the system will collapse, and then we will purge the land of these invaders. We will purify the land. Absolutely, and and that accords with biblical prophecy. Yep. It so that the final battle of Armageddon is going to be a race war, and. The race war has already started. It's just we're not allowed to fight back yet. And when, once we do, we will thoroughly wipe them out. So well, that, that that time is is not here yet. So as I've said, as it, frustrating as this situation is, for right now we have to keep our powder dry. You can't. Um, you can't do. You can't try to lead any sort of organized armed resistance against this because it's only going to lead to your own downfall. You, you're not going to be able to take on the system head on at this point and win. No, but you there's will, many other ways we can prepare for this spiritually. Yep. You know, I, I think your time is better well spent at this point. Of okay, so I rattled off all those numbers. So you're going to transfer that amount of wealth to niggers and spicks and Jews. So there's really no way you, you can not do that. So you have to, I would advise people, hey, try to make as much money as you can so that there's something left over for your family. Um, you're going to have to pay X amount into the system. Caesar's going to get his cut. The Jews are still going to get their cut. You're not going to be able to stop that. Um, we know the system's coming down. Is it going to happen next week? No. You know, I, I don't see it coming down probably for at least five years, so you're going to have to make your peace with the way things are for the foreseeable future. This isn't going to end tomorrow um, as much as I'd like it to. I have no ability to push a button and, and bring it to a conclusion. Uh, it's going to play out as long as it's going to play out. Now, Christ already said that these end-time days have been shortened. 
So it he's shortened the days, but how short that actually is, you know, it remains to be seen. Absolutely. Okay, Don, thank you for being here. Bill, thanks for having me, Bill. Um, it was good. And we'll pick uh, and this next, up in next about month. four weeks. Yeah, we'll have a breakdown um, on Ezekiel 38 and 39. Maybe the first Saturday in September I'll be back from up north by then. I'm leaving for um, Tennessee and Ohio on Wednesday. Okay, well, good luck on your journeys. And uh, uh, Clifton, you know, once again, we uh, he, was, he was a great man. Um, Clifton's done a lot of uh, good work, and uh, I, I read his articles, uh, I listen to his podcasts, and uh, he will be missed. Absolutely. Yes, he will. We miss him. We we've been missing him around here for for a month now. It it's um almost two months. No, six weeks. Six weeks since I had to hospitalize him initially. And he he's there's a big hole in our home because Clifton is missing. That's the way it is, right? Every time you lose, he's it's like losing a family member, no doubt. Well, he was part of the family and. All of us in this movement are brothers, um, so we have to stick together. Well, thank you, Don. Thanks for having me, Bill, and I, I look forward to speaking with you next month. You bet. I'll look forward yep. to that. Praise Yahweh. Good night.